Heavenly Father, we just, first of all, that last song just says everything. Have your way in us. We truly want to be who you have called us to be. And our prayer is that we just surrender all to you for that to happen in our lives this very day and every day. We pray for Dr. John and Pastor Karen. We are so grateful and so excited that they're getting time away. And we just pray that uh, the, the travel is fantastic. There's no issues whatsoever and that it is just a time of refreshment, a time of peace, uh, a time of restoration. And we thank you for that. Uh, thank you for this wonderful church. Thank you that they are the embodiment of what an oasis is. And as people are, are hungering and thirsting and looking for shelter, that this place is that shelter. These people are that shelter. And so I just surrender all to you. I ask that you would use me, and I give you the praise and glory for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen, amen. All right. Well, um, I'm going to start off by saying this. My grandmother, and for any of you that have an old-school grandmother um, or old-school relatives that give you home remedies, and, and thank God, because all of you who said yes, you're still alive after those home remedies, my grandmother would give me Vicks Vaporub with sugar. She'd, she'd give me a spoonful to cure asthma. So I am a, um, I, I think anytime I see Mary Poppins, those lyrics, just a spoonful of sugar, help the medicine go down. I'm always reminded of that. So um, for these next seven hours of ministry, uh, wait, did I, <laughs> I'm sorry. Did I say seven? I'm sorry, I meant five. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, but for our, our time together, um, because of the subject matter, I'm going to provide a lot of sugar to go with this medicine, if you, if you would allow that. So um, I believe there, yes, Wendy, if you would hand out a, a packet to each individual, um, and I'm just going to walk us through an exercise and we're going to have some, uh, some sugar moments that I, that I believe will, will be like the tree in the Old Testament that was thrown into the, into the waters and made those bitter waters sweet. And I feel like during this time I should sing something like there's a sweet, sweet spirit in this place. And I know that it's the spirit of the Lord. I, um, I feel like I'm using my radio voice right now. I, I don't know why. Keep on listening, keep on watching, and uh, we have a very special prize for you at the end. It's, we, I'm going to use the masculine because it's going to be a surprise. Okay, that was bad. But, uh, <laughs> boom, I'm, hey, I'm, I just want until, all right, every, everyone's got a packet. All right, here we go. <clears throat> Here's what I want you to do. This is going to be interesting since I'm going to hold the mic in one hand and do this. Um, so I want you to hold the white sheet where the small dot is on your left, the large dot is on your right. I want you to hold this sheet in your right hand. And here's the, here's the tricky part. I'm going to set the mic down and say this like this. All right. Okay, okay so you're holding this in your right hand, centering it with your face. Nose is right in the center of the two dots. Yeah. You're covering your, your left eye with your left hand. Yeah. With your right eye, look at the left small dot. There we go. Now, bring it forward, only looking at the small dot, and tell me when something happens. No. Yeah. Something happened? Oh, yeah. All right, what happened? It disappeared. It disappeared. All right, now... We're going to do the same thing again, but before you do, the thing I want to mention is that we, we all have blind spots. Yeah. And in this particular case, the black dot disappeared when it aligns with your optic nerve. It, it can no longer see it, even though it's clearly there. So there are things that we cannot see, even though they are there. Yeah. All right? 
So now, we're going to take the yellow one. All right, yellow sheet, same thing, holding it in your right hand, left hand over your left eye, looking at the small dot with your right eye, and bring it forward until something happens, and tell me... Now. Now. Oh, okay, what happened? It disappeared. Anything else happened? It's yellow in the background. It's yellow. So, so not only did the dot disappear, but it, our brain filled in color. All right? So let's do one more. All right, now take the green sheet. Big dot is on the, on the right. Small dot is on the left. There's a line through the dot. There we go. Left hand over left eye, centered, bring it forward, and tell me what happens, or, or say something. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Oh. What happened? The, the, the dot's gone, gone, but the line's there. It's a line. It's just a line. But then you, put, you see the whole line. Okay, yeah. so, not only did the black dot disappear, yeah. but the space was filled in with the line. Yes. So, our minds fill in these blind spots, and it makes us see something that is not actually there. And my question to you is, how often do you think that our minds make up explanations to fill in the blind spots in our thinking? Okay. Lots. All right. Which brings me to this. We're going to uh, 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 look at this, this video next. And... Um, and then after we end the video, then I'll ask you that same question again. All right, here we go. AmeriQuest Mortgage, proud sponsor of the NFL. Hello. How much are they asking? Well, that's a lot of money for a deck. Well, I hate to tell you this, but you're getting robbed. Now, did you hear me? You're getting robbed. An open-minded, equal opportunity lender. She has a fractured fibula. Given well, Saturday, so I could be able to go home tomorrow. Daddy's gonna be so excited. That killed him. Paging Dr. Palmer. Dr. Barbara Palmer. Dial 
Open-minded, equal opportunity lender. I don't hate your mother. Morning, Beth. Ameriquest, an open-minded, equal All right, let's pause right there. Let's, let's stop it right there. Okay, I'm going to raise my hand. I'm going to answer this altar call. How many times do we believe the worst in people instead of the best? How many times have, have a situation, I mean, we laugh at this, but how many times has that played out in our own lives, either at work or with our own families, and it escalates to... Uh, Mount St. Helen proportions because we don't see each other because of our blind spots. We could very easily in every one of those situations fill out a narrative. You know, that in, that, in that very first one, I'm assuming the marshal probably would have arrested them both and turned the plane around and just, no, then that's not what happened. All right? We... I think what's important is that as believers, we've been given the ministry of reconciliation, and yet we go from zero to 60 just about every day. We see this played out in social media. Um, it, d depending on your political affiliation, that other uh, believer could not possibly be saved because of their political party and vice versa and all of these other things that we do and we escalate. And we're the body of Christ. And yet we can't see each other because of our blind spots. All right. So I, I want to talk to you today about blind spots. Blind spots are the area around a vehicle that drivers cannot see when their mirrors are properly adjusted. Blind spots are a hazard that drivers must contend with every time they get behind the wheel. These visual impairments not only pose a threat to drivers, their passengers, and other motorists, but they also can cause serious or fatal injuries to motorcyclists, bicyclists, and pedestrians. Next slide. Statistics from the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration show nearly 840,000 blind spot accidents occur each year in the United States, resulting in 300 fatalities. Experts agree that vehicle alert systems for detecting blind spots will significantly lower these statistics. However, next slide. While the data should drive home the importance of collision avoidance systems, it also shows many drivers may be turning off warning systems in their vehicles. People shut these systems off, the systems beep, which we think may be annoying the driver. I wonder how many times every day, I, okay, I'm going to... Can I raise my hand right now and just kneel down and answer the altar call? I wonder how many times every day I shut off my warning system. Causing an accident that is fatal to those around me. To my spouse, to my daughter, to my coworkers. Because of my blind spots. And I ignore the warning system that would cause that accident to happen. All right. So, next slide. Let's take a look at this. Excuse me. I know you didn't think anyone would catch you, but you just slammed your door into my car. The least you can do is say you're sorry, lady. You don't have to take that tone. It's 
not like I'm hurting your resale value. I'm sorry. See? Like that. lost control of <laughs> Can anybody identify with that? <laughs> Maybe not that particular Malcolm in the Middle situation. Do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 5. Let's look at this in another version. In the Amplified, do not judge and criticize and condemn others unfairly with an attitude of self-righteous superiority. I, I just want to stop there for a second. Um, I just want to linger on that. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to give you sugar to let the medicine go down. But my God, how many times does my ego get in the, in the way? How many times does my need to be right override representing the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus and override the rights of others? An attitude of self-righteous superiority as though assuming the office of a judge so that you will not be judged unfairly. For just as you hypocritically judge others, when you are sinful and unrepentant, so you will be judged. And in accordance with your standard of measure used to pass out judgment, judgment will be measured to you. Why do you look at the insignificant speck? I want to stop right there. 
if we would really stop and pause, the things that send us over the edge are insignificant. The insignificant speck that is in your brother's eye. But do not notice and acknowledge the egregious log. Okay, we went from plank to log that is in your own eye. Or how can you say to your brother, let me get the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. Play actor. Pretender. (laughs) First, get the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Let's look at this in one more translation. Don't pick on people. Jump on their failures. Criticize their faults. Unless, of course, you want the same treatment. That critical spirit, and that's the issue at hand, that critical spirit has a way of boomeranging. It's easy to see a smudge on your neighbor's face and be oblivious to the ugly sneer on your own. Do you have the nerve to say, let me wash your face for you when your own face is distorted by contempt? It's the whole traveling roadshow mentality all over again, playing a holier-than-thou part instead of just living your part. I'm going to stop right there, put a pause in that. This is something that I'm, I will end with, but I want to mention it here. We cannot live this life without God. And how often is it that we are in such a hurry and we're so wrapped up by crisis? I'm, I'm just going to keep answering altar calls this entire service. All right. um, I probably should have worn you know, pants so that I could mess up more. But, uh, <laughs> but then that would be ego, so then I'll just go ahead and kneel anyway. No. Uh, <laughs> um, we, we set God aside. And we have these casualties, and we want to blame the devil when it's us. It's the difference between what it says there. The difference between playing the part and living your part. We've got to stop playing the part. We've got to live our part. Wipe that ugly sneer off your own face. And you might be fit to offer a washcloth to your neighbor. Now, the interesting thing about the Message Bible's version of this is, unlike the other two, this is clearly framing service. That we can be doing the right thing and be ugly in our service. And doing in a way that does not benefit anyone. So let's talk about let's talk about blind spots. Okay, next next slide. Um, <clears throat> what you what you saw in that Malcolm in the Middle video <laughs> is uh, uh, is what's called the ladder of inference. Okay, um, we observe data, but. W- Although we observe the data, we only select certain pieces of the data, right? So the woman bumps her car, all right? Then uh, the wife peeks her head out of the window, and she's very snide about what she says, all right? So she responds to selected data, right? And then adds meaning to it and builds assumptions, which are conclusions and beliefs become actions. And you have scaled the ladder to where you are destroying cars in the parking lot. <laughs> and and this and this is what this is this is what we do. All right? And the the solution is to stop climbing. And I promise you in every situation the still small voice of God is right there is telling you don't climb. But I got to do it. I got to hook out. I got to do this. All right. So let's go. Next slide. <laughs> Before I transform into something that is not good. All right. Okay. One thing I, wa- I want to mention about, about blind spots and, and things to be aware of is 
We are blind to the systems that we are born into and accept them as truth. We are born into culture. We are born into family dynamics. We are born into traditions. We are born into teachings, etc., that uh, that subliminally are a part of our environment and a part of our culture and a part of our living, and we have no idea that we are the walking time bomb. We think everything's all right. And, you know, the city is blown up behind us wherever we go because of, of these things that we are blind to. And we have to and re-examine them. All right, so let, let's do an example. Um, Jeremiah, in Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 4 through 7, Almighty God is speaking to Jeremiah. And he says, the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Almighty God is speaking. Jeremiah clearly recognizes that God is speaking to him. And Jeremiah responds, alas, sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak. I am too young. What do you think, Jeremiah? Go ahead, go ahead and, and answer this question for me. Answer it aloud. Uh, I'll, I'll take hands. What do you think Jeremiah is blind to? What do you think he was born into, possibly? What is God telling him? God is telling him that you're a, you're a prophet to the nation. And, and when did God establish that? Before he was even born, Right? But Jeremiah says, okay, so then he's blind to something. He's, he's acknowledging that God is telling him who he is, and he's saying, I can't do it. Why? Yeah. Okay, so, so more than likely, Jeremiah has been born into a culture that has told him that youth have no value. He's clearly talking to God, his creator, and he's denying the very thing that God is saying to him because there's something that is, there's a blind spot that is superseding the truth. It, it could be, it could be the, the, the culture of the time. It could be what was happening in his own home. But whatever it is, whatever his experiences were, they framed how he was hearing truth directly from God. And God says to him in verse 7, but the Lord said to me, do not say I am too young. And then that God lays his hand on him to bring transformation because he can't even see what God says. I, I, I know what that's all about. To, to come up in um, in abuse and to come up in molestation and to constantly be told that you're retarded and you're an accident and you will never amount to anything. And then you come into the gospel and the gospel says that you can, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I'm like, yeah, that, I believe that for anybody else, but not for me. I mean, Christ died for everyone, but does God really love me? All right, uh, next example. Jesus says this, to the Jews who believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. All right. I feel like I'm doing an English class here. All right. Jesus says, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. What does that imply? But what does, it, what does it apply about their current condition? That they don't know the truth. So in order for them to know the truth, they're going to have to hold to the, his teaching. Or I think what it says in the New King James is if you continue in my word, or if you abide in my word, if you live in my word, then you will be my disciples. Then you will know the truth. So it's implied then that they are blind to truth. And the only way to not be blind to truth is to continue. How many people, I'm not, I'm not asking for a show of hands. All right. But I know in my, my own life, how many times did I want to quit church because I didn't think it was working? 
or quit the word because I didn't think it was working. But it was because I needed to continue. Because the, in continuing, it was going to change how I see. I would finally see truth. And then, because I would see truth, I would finally be free. So then Jesus is also implying that I am in prison. I am blind to truth, and I am in prison. Now, Jesus is speaking a life-changing word. But guess how the Pharisees and Sadducees received that word? Next slide. Then the Jews answered and said to him, Do we not say rightly that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? They called him a demon-possessed Samaritan. That was profanity. Yeah, I, I want you to know that was, that was profanity. Uh, don't, don't mistake that at all. They were cussing Jesus out. You demon-possessed Samaritan. That would be bleep, 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 bleep in New Testament days. All right? Can we be so entrenched in our blind spots that we refuse truth? Oh, yes. Right. Right. All right. Next. Okay. All right. I want to talk to you about a book. And I'm, uh, I'm, there's several books I have with me that I'll, I'll uh, ref reference at the end. Um, but I have gone through this book twice, uh, The Anatomy of Peace. Uh, I love the Arbinger Institute. Uh, a, a lot of their books are stories. And you read the story, but the stories contain the, the nuggets of truth. Uh, I mean, I, I don't mind studying any more than the next person. But, you know, when, when you're a working person, um, you really don't want to, like, hit a textbook. So it, it helps to get, the <laughs> to get the truth with a lot of sugar. And so reading a story helps you um, get the, the truth of things. The, the subject, the topic of this book... And the transformational truth is when it comes to people, when it comes to individuals, do I have a heart at peace or do I have a heart at war? Now, I, I know as soon as I said that, more than likely, you could imagine a person immediately came to your mind that you have a heart at war with. That the phrase is so self-explanatory. It's so easy. Uh, next slide. All right. When you have a heart at war, you see others as objects. I could spend the rest of the day just, just dealing with that. How many times... Have I allowed the behavior of an individual to make me see them as an object? Or their viewpoint make me see them as an object? Or because of my need and seeing them as having something that will fulfill my need, I only see them as an object to fulfill my need. I don't see them as a person. They appear less real to me than I do to myself. Their cares and concerns um, matter less to me than my own, and I actively resist their humanity. I'm, I'm just being honest. This is an everyday challenge for me. Um, and I say this with some humor, although I am very serious. My cross to bear our drivers. <laughs> I, uh, um, <laughs> uh, uh, thank you. Thank you. Um, the, the colorful metaphors flow freely from my lips on the freeway and in the streets because there are just some things that I do not understand. And even when, I'm, even when I, I, I get up and I'm jogging and there is a stop sign, I do not understand you running the stop sign where I, and I'm there in the cross. I am not invisible. It is not hard to see me. 
Come on, I am the blondest, fairest Negro in the land. You cannot, I am the neon Negro. You cannot miss seeing me. And I will, I, and I, really, lady? <laughs> you didn't see that stuff? You know. And I lose it. And I, I don't know what's going on in that person's life. And, and it, it doesn't mean that it's right for them to run a stop sign. It doesn't mean for them to to be in the in the right lane and suddenly make a left turn in front of me. Uh, you know, all of the all the things. You, I know this is my trial. <laughs> so, <laughs> Jesus, please. Okay. But I have a heart at war. I have a heart at war, and I see people as objects instead of as people. When I have a heart at peace, I see others as people. They appear just as real to me as I do to myself. Their pain and what they're dealing with is just as important as my own. Their cares and concerns matter the same to me as my own, and I actively respond to their humanity. In order for me to treat them any less, I have to see them as not human. And this is what we do. Amen. All right, okay, so... <laughs> um, as I, as I linger on that for a moment, I don't know why I'm lingering. Probably because I'm answering multiple altar calls in my mind. All right, next next slide. Okay. Our habit of living, our way of living, is that we spend time dealing with things that go wrong with people by trying to correct them. Instead of... And that is, that is a small part of the pyramid, this pyramid of change. Right? And we spend probably 100% of our time doing this. But if we would let go of our blind spots and examine ourselves, we would spend most of the time doing this, helping things go right by supporting the person. And rather than go this way, down, I'm going to start from the bottom and work up, all right? One, that we get out of the box and obtain a heart at peace. I can't, I can't treat you right. I can't, I can't correct the issue. I can't even teach or communicate with you if I first don't have a heart at peace. Uh, Andrew, I let me do this with you. Come on up. Come on up. All right. I want to welcome you. Man, what are you doing? Get your fist down. Down, down, down. Okay, all right. I'm trying to welcome you, brother. <laughs> okay. This is us every day. Because when you have a heart at war and you don't have a heart at peace, even though you physically are not like this, this is what you're giving off. This is why our, our spouse doesn't want to talk to us. This is why our, the, our children are staying away, because they, they sense that. They feel it. This is what's going on. This is what's going on at work. And we cannot, we, we can't do any of this until we get out of the box and obtain a heart of peace. Then we can build relationships with others who have influence on the person. We can build relationship with that individual. We can listen and learn about that person's world. We can even teach and communicate. But um, in, in getting here, you, you got to start here because, as I've always been taught, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And I know we quote it, but this is what it takes to deal with our blind spots. Amen? Good so far? Okay. Uh, do, I, do I need to, like, hand out some more sugar? <laughs> All right. Okay. Um, wait, let's see. 
where are we? Um, this is what, uh, what I'm sharing with you. This is what's called the, uh, the outward mindset, all right, is where we are others-minded instead of just being self-centered. If I have an inward mindset, I'm always focused on me, and you don't matter. Or you're just an, a means to an end. And, and just that word, being a means to an end, means that I've dehumanized you. You're, you're not a person. All right. Um, next slide. What's your name? My name's Buddy. Does someone need a hug? I just wanted a hug. Okay, now that that video is for everyone who said, but Pastor Eric, I try. I really do try to do this. Well, let's uh, let's let's talk a little bit about collusion. Um, and I'm going to bring a couple of chairs here. Oop. Let me do this. There we go. Okay. All right. Let's do this. Let's put these back to back. All right, and let me talk a little bit about collusion, all right? Uh, collusion looks a little bit, little bit like this. Uh, I wake up this morning, um, very excited about the message, uh, going over my notes, and my wife reminds me that I have promised multiple times to clean out my office and, and get it in order because it is just a messy site and knowing that my, oh, answer, altar call, all right, altar call right now, altar call, okay, here we go, all right. <laughs> and and uh, knowing that, because we've done personality profiles and assessments and all that, and so I know that she is wired for order and structure. So I already know this, but because of what's going on with my everyday and, and the chaos that, that ensues and, and me trying to bring order to the chaos and what's happening in my city that I never just seem to get to the office to get it taken care of. And she reminds me, but you promised that you would do it today. Well, hon, I will do it as soon as I come back from Oasis and do the, from doing the Lord's work, then I will come back and clean up this office. Right? But you promised. Fine. Fine. Okay. Right? You want to see some cleaning? I'll show you some cleaning. I will do it. Are you happy now? Peace be with you. I'm on my way to minister. Does any of this look familiar? <laughs> this is collusion. Collusion. Uh, I, I don't have this on the slide. I'm, I'm just again. Collusion is a conflict where the parties are inviting the very things they are fighting against. Okay. The issue is not changing behavior. The issue is changing a mindset. All right. Because that back and forth between my wife and I, and that was imaginary. That was not something that happened today. I just want you to know. that. <laughs> Other days maybe, but not today. All right. But, the, but the, the, the thing here is that First of all, I already knew that this was important to her, but yet I had reasons for not 
not getting it done. It didn't mean I didn't want to do it, but she was insisting on it now at a time which was inconvenient, even though I had promised and I, I didn't keep my word, etc. But my my response to her creates further fuel and it just goes back just like what the Malcolm in the middle parking lot this was the same thing we collusion causes the very thing that we're trying not to do now did I do what she asked me to do yes but did I do it with the right mindset no I did not and it escalated instead of de-escalated if this had really happened what do you think you think my home is going to be a happy home when I when I when I come back home today? Absolutely not. Do you think that 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 she sees me as actually um, understanding her and fulfilling what she asked? The room is clean, but my attitude was bad. Do you think that's going to cause further tension? All right, and then there's going to be further collusion because probably when I'm out of the house, then. Uh, you know, uh, if my daughter comes out of the room and says, what just happened? Oh, your father. Dear God in heaven. All right. And so now we get other people to collude with us. Right? This is what we do. This is collusion. All right. So, um, Brian, come on. Come on. Back up. All right. Take a, take a seat here. I'll take a seat here. This is, this is a visual of what collusion looks like. We're blind to each other. All right. But what happens if I decide to live this out? And I turn my chair. This is a lot like, like the don't, don't turn your chair yet. Um, I know you want to. I know you're, good, you're, you're great, man. I love you. But this is, this is a lot like th what we just saw in that scene from Elf. Okay. I'm willing. I turned my chair, all right? He hasn't turned his chair yet. But what's happened to me? I'm out of the box, that's one. What do I see? I see his back, but also I'm now committed to seeing what he sees. His chair may not be turned towards me, but at least I'm turned towards him. Now I'm starting to understand him. I'm seeing him as a person. He may never turn his chair towards me, but I no longer have a heart of war. I have a heart towards peace. A lot of times we say, but the other person didn't turn their chair. doesn't matter. What matters is you. You having that heart towards peace to that other person. All right. Now, it'd be great. Brian, go ahead and turn your chair. It would be great if this happened because we see each other. We, we're, we're, we view each other. We're, we're seen by each other. But it doesn't, that doesn't happen all the time, all right? But you still have to do your part. You have to do your part. All right, thank you. Thank you so much for doing this with me. All right. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll take this back because there's, there's something else um, that I want to say about turning your chair. Um, Just because you turn your chair doesn't mean that that other person is ready to receive you. In the story of Jacob and Esau, Jacob, let's make no mistake about it, Jacob robbed Esau of his birthright. He was, all, all the unmentionable words that you would like to say, that's what Jacob was. That was that's his by his very nature, by his name, schemer, supplanter, trickster, thief, whatever you, whatever you, that, that was Jacob, all right? And so Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. He said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are near, then I will kill my brother Jacob. When Rebekah was told what her older son Esau had said, she sent for her younger son, Jacob, and said to him, Your brother Esau? 
is planning to avenge himself by killing you, son. Now then, my son, do what I say. Flee at once to my brother Laban and Haran. Stay with him for a while. I'm sorry. I, I, I shouldn't even be doing that. <laughs> Stay with him for a while until your brother's fury subsides. When your brother is no longer angry with you and forgets what you did to him, I'll send word for you to come back from there. Why should I lose both of you in one day? All right. And then you guys know the story. Jacob goes to Laban. They both try to out-trick each other. It becomes a hostile situation. Jacob now decides to go back home. Let's go to the to the next slide. And then they, you know, the interesting thing when you read that story is that Jacob sends all the children and the wives out ahead of him. All right. So I want you to know that even though Jacob, quote unquote, is God's man, <laughs> Jacob still is no good. I just, I mean, I just, I want you to just, just know that he has character issues. I mean, the very fact that he sent his wives and children out because he didn't know how Esau was going to respond to him just tells you about the nature of this individual. But I want you to see this. I never saw this before until my pastor friend Ron Carter pointed this out. Genesis 33, verse 4, but Esau ran, ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and kissed him, and they wept. Isn't there a story in the New Testament that reminds you of this? The story of the prodigal son? But here's the, Jesus speaks a parable, but this was a real-life issue. And I'm not saying that what Jesus teaching was not real. But this is real. I want you to notice that from the time that Esau wanted to kill Jacob until this moment, it had been 20 years. Sometimes it takes some time. I mean, you're willing and you turn your chair, but sometimes it's going to take some time and some distance. Even if I turn my chair from a distance, I'm still turning my chair. I don't want you to get caught up in, I've got to fix this. Because that's not the heart of, of turning your chair. Turning your chair is having a heart at peace. You've got to walk through this prayerfully so that you're not jumping the gun <laughs> and instigating another war. Um, next slide. I, uh, I'm going to run through these. Um, not, not so much in the interest of time, but, um, just how important these passages are to what we're closing about, talking about. So, uh, just some closing thoughts about this because this is not just something that's found in a book. This is all throughout the scriptures that we have to have an outward mindset. We have to think differently. Matthew 5, uh, 43 through 45. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your father in heaven he causes his, his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Uh, one of my mottos is that God has called us all to turn enemies into allies. And this is why we love our, our, love our enemy. Okay, next one. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8 in the Amplified. All right. Love endures long and is patient and kind. Love never is envious nor boils over with jealousy. Is not boastful or vainglorious, does not display itself haughtily. It is not conceited, arrogant, and inflated with pride. It is not rude or unmannerly and does not act unbecomingly. Love God's love in us. Here we go. This is it. Here's the outward mindset. God's love in us does not insist on its own rights or its own way. For it is not self-seeking, it is not touchy or fretful or resentful. It takes no account of the evil done to it. It pays no attention to a suffered wrong. Okay. Um, 
that, uh, in this, this whole passage of love, I also want you to note, because we're going to have this discussion about justice in a moment, that justice is still a part of the DNA of love. So it doesn't mean if laws were broken, it, it doesn't mean that God doesn't care about justice. It, justice is just as much a part of love. Con- there are consequences sometimes to actions, and we, and we have to understand that. So that very next part that says it does not rejoice at injustice and unrighteousness, but rejoices when right, with, uh, when right and truth prevail, that is important. Um, a, a person commits an act of violence on me. I can still forgive. I need to move forward with a heart at peace. But it still doesn't mean that there's still justice that needs to be done in that situation. So I just, I just wanted that to be clear. I didn't want that to be confused. All right, uh, next, next verse. 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 19. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. That is an outward mindset. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. And this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. This all makes sense? Well, like, like we woke. <laughs> We're woke to our own uh, blind spots. Um, I think there's, is there one more slide? We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God who they have not seen. Uh, In closing, let's take our focus off the speck. You know, um, when Ananias, because sometimes we get wrapped up in, okay, all right, I'll get the log out of my eye. Now I'm going to go deal with that speck. And I think if you're still in that frame of mind, (laughs) then you still have a heart towards war. The speck is not the issue. Having a, a heart at peace is. And when I look at, for example, Paul, I mean, the, the Apostle Paul was killing believers. And, and then he's blinded. He's, he's, got, he's blinded by God. And God sends Ananias. And Ananias is like, wait, hold up, God. You're sending me to see who? No, this, this guy? Wait, don't. So wait, slow it. No, 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 no. You, you, you got to go and do this. And Ananias prays for him, and scales fall from his eyes. I think a heart towards peace is where we take time to prayerfully consider what our next move is and praying for that individual. And maybe we might find that the scales fall from their eyes before we ever even approach them about removing the speck. I, I think the speck doesn't matter. I think praying does. And I think if we pray, then God will open up that moment that brings reconciliation. I believe that Oasis is prophetically called to be an Oasis. And that means that people that are different from us are going to be drawn to this place and we have to be ready and that means searching our hearts removing the planks dealing with our blind spots so that we can have a heart at peace Mm -hmm.